Wendy Osborne was 14 years old in 1987. And on January 20th of that year, she missed the bus to school. And so she walked. And Wendy never made it to school. About a week later, I was sitting in chapel at Lincoln Christian College, and the request was made about Wendy and that we needed to pray for her. And, and, and I prayed. I prayed, prayed a lot. And I was absolutely certain that this little girl would come home. She would be found and everything would be fine. And nearly every class we attended, we always started the class with prayer, and nearly every class Wendy was mentioned, and I always said, don't worry, she's, she's going to be fine. She's going to come home. Until finally about a week later, two weeks after she had gone missing, Wendy's body had been found. She had been raped, and tortured, strangled and killed. And the day that that announcement was made in school, I was sitting in chapel and I was holding one of the hymnals that we had, one of the red hymnals. And I remember when that announcement was made, I took that hymnal and I threw it into the rack in the back of the pew in front of me and everything within me wanted to just walk out. I didn't. But in a lot of ways, I think I checked out that day. Prayer suddenly didn't make any sense. Why would God allow this? Why would He allow this 14-year-old girl from a good Christian family? Why would He allow her to be hurt, to be killed? Why would He allow that family to be torn apart, to suffer like that? Honestly, I didn't know what I believed anymore. When we pray... We have incredible stories of God answering our prayers. We have stories of healing. We have stories of, of restoration. We have stories of pet dogs coming back home. Uh, we have stories of car keys being found. We have amazing stories, all sorts of wonderful stories, but we realize we also have a lot of stories where the answer is no. Where we've prayed and prayed, and God didn't act. What do we do with those stories? Did we do something wrong? Did we pray wrong? Did, did God not hear us? Now we're told that David, King David, was a man who was after God's own heart. We are told that he was a man who prayed, a man who worshipped, a man who also sinned. And as much as God heard and answered David's prayers, there were times when he didn't. And, and rather than us wondering about the whys, we're going to look at the hows. How did David handle those prayers that God didn't answer? How did David react when God said no? And what can we learn from that for our own prayers? We're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you're using the Bibles in the pews there in front of you, it is page 263. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. says, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David 
fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to the servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then the servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. The very first thing that we have to see here is that when God says no, when God says no to our prayers, we continue to seek God. We continue to pray. We continue to pour out our heart. We continue to pour out our need before Him. I've said it many times, I've said it many times in this series of sermons that prayer is not us learning how to talk God into giving us stuff. Prayer is about knowing God. It's about knowing Him intimately. It's about depth of relationship. And in those times when God says no, He may be withholding that thing that we desire, but He never, never withholds Himself. And so, keep on praying. Because even when the answer is no, nothing has changed. And while that may bother us that nothing has changed, we have to think about the other things that haven't changed. God is still God. That, that hasn't changed. God is still sovereign. That hasn't changed. In fact, He's proving it to us when He says no. His Son still died for you. That hasn't changed. You're still forgiven. That hasn't changed. And you are still kept in the hollow of His hand. You are still the focus of His love. He still desires for you to come to Him to pray and to know Him. God saying no to your request is not God saying no to grace. It is not God saying no to mercy. It is not Him saying no to love. The Apostle Paul had this experience that he called the thorn in his flesh. And we, we don't know what the thorn in his flesh was, but it troubled him. And Paul says on three different occasions, I prayed that the Lord would take this away. On three different occasions, he prayed. And on three different occasions, God said, no. And then he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, but he, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I know there are things that we really want. We want healing. We want restoration. We want wholeness. But when the answer 
is no. We can continue to look to God for grace. So we continue to seek God even when the answer is no. There's another lesson here that I really want us to catch. Something that we need to understand. Be okay with what you don't know. Be okay with what you don't know, with what you can't understand. There is something I really love in David's response here. Something that we all need to understand. Verse 22, David says, he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. I love those first two words. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Who, who knows? We, we have to come to the point where that is a perfectly acceptable and theologically correct response to God. You can do that. Who knows? Just, why is this happening? Who knows? Why is there sickness in the world? Who knows? Why is there suffering? Why is God not answering? Who knows? That is a much better answer than the stuff that we make up. Because the stuff that we make up tends to be superficial, it tends to be trite, and it doesn't help anyone. You know the kind of stuff I'm talking about? I don't know for a fact this happened, but in my heart of hearts, I am certain it must have happened at some point. Jack and Carolyn Osborne, Wendy's parents, I just know that at some point, someone said to them after Wendy died, someone said to them, you know, God always chooses the prettiest angels. Have you ever heard that before? I have. God always chooses the prettiest angels. Does that help anyone? No. That doesn't answer any questions. And yet we, we come up with these answers, I think sometimes just to fill the, the void, just to, just to make noise, because we think we have to say something. We need to be okay with the reality that God is bigger than us, that He's bigger than our understanding, that there are going to be mysteries in our lives until we get to heaven. And, and we admit that. And, and admitting that is not weakness. That's honesty. And people who are dealing with the big questions, they need honesty, even if it is an honest who knows. Now there's another side to that that I want you to be very aware of. Who knows? Who knows means, means you don't know. Who knows means you don't know. You don't truly know what they're going through. Every now and then, someone will go through a, a difficult time and someone will be suffering in a, with a particular suffering. And, and very often, people will say, I know how you feel. Let me just tell you now, no, you don't. You may have gone through the same diagnosis. <laughs> you may have gone through similar circumstances or similar sufferings, but you don't know. You don't know the depths of that relationship. You don't know the baggage that that person is carrying. You don't know, and that's okay. They don't need you to tell them that you know. They just need you to be there 
They need you to love them. So when God says no, we keep praying. We learn to be okay with what we don't know. And finally, never forget that you hold on to a hope that is greater than your prayers. Your prayer, your desire, is not the end of hope. It is not the full extent of hope. Four four weeks ago, I made a point in my sermon. I pointed out that, that we don't really share the prayer requests that are on our hearts. We share, you know, every Sunday we fill out these little cards and, and we, we do a great job of, of offering some prayer requests. Today you're going to share many, I know you will. And, but we'll share prayer requests for other people. We'll tell about somebody else who is sick. In fact, I have one right here about someone else who is sick. We'll share those requests. We'll share about someone else who's going through something. We'll share about somebody we know who's dealing with this or that. We very seldom share the things that are really on our hearts. I've never seen one of these cards come back. I mentioned this in the sermon a month ago. I've never seen one of these cards come back that say, We're really, I'm really struggling financially at this time. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the end of this month. I need prayer. Or my wife and I aren't getting along and we need prayer. We're struggling with relationships. I'm struggling with forgiveness. Nobody does that on these cards. And now, let me say what I said then too. That's probably okay. This may not be the place to share those kind of needs but I do want to make sure you're sharing them with someone, somewhere, that somebody is is praying those prayers with you. So that Sunday I made that point, and then I collected the prayer requests. Peggy Decker had thrown in a prayer request. And that was the Sunday that Peggy asked us to pray for her because she was planning to move to Savoy. And she said on that card, it is the hardest thing I have ever done. She asked us to pray. Later, she came up to me after church and said, I did that because I was convicted of the things that you said. And I wanted to share because that was what was on my heart. And so for the last month, we prayed. And Peggy packed. And we prayed and prayed. And, you know, Peggy was was apprehensive about that move, but she was also excited. The place that she was moving to in Savoy is beautiful. If she had researched it, she had picked this place out. It was everything she wanted it to be. It was going to be wonderful. But instead of Savoy, Peggy gets heaven. Now, I like Savoy a lot. There's that movie theater with 16 screens, and it's got an IMAX. There's Applebee's. I mean, have you tried the appetizers? They're really good. There's a Schnucks grocery store. There's all kinds of wonderful things in Savoy. I've been to Savoy, and I like it. I've never been to heaven, but I hear it's nice. I hear it's a nice place also. I have a feeling it's better than Savoy. At the very least, you don't have that annoying traffic on Route 45 going through heaven like you do in Savoy. Going to heaven and spending eternity painless in the presence of a loving God is not a bad thing. And it's not a not a bad answer to a prayer that we couldn't begin to wrap our 
minds around. This past week, we prayed and prayed for Peggy. We started out on Monday praying for recovery, just praying that she would wake up and that everything would be fine. And finally, we prayed that God would take her home in His time and in His grace. We didn't get what we initially wanted, but we realized that our prayer isn't the full extent of God's will. And saying that is not resignation. It's not giving up. That is what hope looks like to a Christian. That we have a God that may have something better for us than our prayers can even imagine. And like David in verse 23, I shall go to Him, but He will not return to me. We can say in faith, we shall go to her. She will not return to us. And that's okay. I didn't know the rest of the story about Wendy Osborne until just a few years ago. I didn't know that seven years after Wendy's murder, her killer struck again. Only this time the victim escaped. And she was able to identify the killer And then, as DNA evidence developed, DNA evidence linked him to several previous cases, including Wendy's, and this man was brought to justice. Wendy's father, Jack Osborne, sat through the trial and sentencing, and he wrote to a mutual friend of ours about his experience Jack Osborne said, I have determined that God is not always kind, but He's always good. And I've learned learned that there is at least one thing worse than being the father of a murder victim. You could be the father of the murderer. Jack Osborne befriended his daughter's murderer's family. And he let them know that he didn't hold them accountable. Jack Osborne testified at the sentencing for his daughter's murderer and pleaded with the court to not give him the death penalty because he wanted that man to have time to find faith and to find redemption. Jack and Carolyn Osborne lived their lives with incredible grace and mercy for other people. And I'm not saying any of that makes the loss of a daughter excusable or understandable or easy. But in learning about this in the last few years, it's taught me that when God says no, look at what He's saying yes to. Look at what He's still saying yes to in our lives. Everybody wants to go to Job. Everybody wants to talk about Job when they're facing troubles. Everybody wants to read the the book of Job. And and it's nice, don't get me wrong, but there are no answers in the book of Job. That's the point. There are no answers in the book of Job. Job cries out to God. He asks questions. He, He complains. He demands answers. And then at the end, What is the lesson for Job? The lesson is God is God. You better recognize. You better deal with it. God is still God. And in Job chapter 40, verses 4 and 5, Job says, Behold, 
I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Job says, I lay my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Learn to be okay with not having all the answers. Learn to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul means we may not get what we want, but we also don't get what we deserve. It is well with my soul means that at the cross, our greatest need was met. A need that we didn't even know how to begin to pray for. It was not only met, but it is finished. It is well with my soul points us to the One who guards us all of our lives. The One who's already promised us eternity. We're going to pray. We're going to come to Him at the table.